I am Chris. And I'm Matt. Welcome to Roleplay Chat. We are two game masters who can't stop talking about roleplaying games. And today we talk about the effect of your players having a home base during a campaign. And as always, we will focus in, or try to anyway, on the roleplaying elements so that we can get better at it together. But first, how are you doing, Matt? Anything new? Oh, yeah, it's, uh, it's been good, though. It's been so nice out, so I've been spending a lot of time outside. Uh, in terms of role-playing stuff, though, I've been, I've been crafting up some, some pretty neat things. I'm, I'm building a... It's basically like a, a piece of a beach. So, like, you've got, like, a, a beach with the, the rest of the, the land behind it. And I'm seriously considering purchasing a static grass applicator but I'm not, I, I don't know if I'm that committed yet. So we'll see. <laughs> That's the thing with crafting. It's just a big hole. It's just, you can go really deep and buy a lot of stuff. We both have our hot wire table. You yeah, just bought yeah. me for my birthday. Uh, well, you and, and the friends bought me an airbrush. Really excited to try it out. Haven't had the chance yet. So, uh, but yeah, because I'm rolling, I'm, I'm running roll 20. I spent a lot of time on roll 20, like getting mapped down and everything. So I don't have as much time, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I, I was surprised. I, I found a couple of like static, like real static grass applicators online from like train hobbyists and stuff. And they're like, they're really expensive. They're surprisingly expensive. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I thought like static grass could be just applied by itself, to be honest. <laughs> Well, you can, but then it's flat. But if you have the applicator, it basically runs an electric current through the terrain <laughs> somehow, and it like makes them stand up. Like you know when you like have yeah. like you get like a static shock and like your hairs stand up a little bit. It, it does that for the grass, so it makes like nice little puffs of grass. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, they're they're expensive. The the one that I found that I, I, I considered strongly is in the UK, and I think it was seventy five pounds, like seventy five British pounds. And I'm like, ugh, I can't justify that. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a Christmas uh, Christmas or birthday gift to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. How how about yourself, Chris? Uh, you talked a little bit about Roll Twenty. Any other RPG stuff you have on the on your radar? Uh, no, lately I'm I'm running I'm running two games in two different systems and both on roll twenty. So I have to do. I'm still working on all the adjustments to have it run smoothly. I'm right now doing all the like in roll twenty. You can kind of like basically build a book that is clickable because there's I, I'm running Warhammer Fourth Edition and there's a lot of rules and my players are have a hard time keeping track of all the talents and all the qualities of the weapons and so I'm just spending a lot of time coding this in roll twenty. So yeah, and this and we're starting, both of my campaigns are kind of in a, a state where I need to put in work to build the direction. Last episode, we talked about railroad and sandbox. So I, part of the conclusion was like, my role is to give it a direction. So I'm still working on this on, on both campaigns. So yeah, it's consumed my hobby time, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, speaking of things that I've been thinking about, and this might segue into this episode, is I've been thinking a lot about the home base that you guys have in the Rising Tide campaign. It's uh, been something that's been uh, you know, fr front and center for me and finding ways to make it important, finding ways for you guys to feel attached to it, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, that was kind of the inspiration for this episode, really, where we wanted to talk about home bases, uh, things like fortresses or forts or boats or whatever, you name it, and, and kind of 
pick your brain, Chris, see if you can help me solve my problem. And and also, <laughs> I also have the same problem. Like, but it's not the same problem, but the same the same thing uh, in my brother in the in the what I'll call the Obustrike campaign, which is kind of the four E uh, of Warhammer Fantasy roleplay uh, setting. Let's put it that way. I'm building a home base, a heavy mecha- like mechanically heavy home base right now. Uh, and kind of like talking to you, we kind of found out that we're both in this similar situation right now. So might as well do it on this roleplay chat. Yeah, yeah. So no promises to the listeners that we're actually going to resolve these problems, but we're <laughs> going to try to. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, let's let's get right into the the conversation then, Chris. Let's let's kick it off with uh, just a pretty generic question for you. What do you consider to be a home base? Yeah, for me, a home base can be very specific or very broad. Like home base for me is a place. I think the the the, the core of it would be the a place where they can put money in to get bonuses or boons somehow. It's it's a mm-hmm. place where they can go back to, put their equipment down, put their money there. It's 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 kind of like a... It, I prefer seeing it as a secure place, and maybe we can talk about is it really actually secure, but it's, it's the place they go back to between adventures. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of I like how you said secure. I, I'm also not 100% sure if every home base ought to be like a, a safe zone, but I agree that it's a place where, like to me, a home base is somewhere where the party or the players can go to and kind of like let their hair down and kind of like relax a little bit, maybe do some downtime stuff, maybe have some fun role play amongst each other, uh, potentially with lower stakes, right? Than than when they're when they're adventuring yeah I, I like to think of like usually my my typical home base for some reason is like a guild like my, my brain immediately goes to a guild house or like a, a guild headquarters that's kind of what a home base is to me but but lately obviously because of the rising tide campaign which is a pirate campaign your home base is your 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 boat it's your vessel although i've alluded to the fact in the game that your pirate crew also has like an island base, like a land base, but we've never, we've never been there or I've honestly, I've never fleshed it out more than that. But um, yeah, well, we, we definitely feel attached to the boat and not really to the island. So in practical terms, that is the home base, right? Yeah. 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 Um, Something that I've also cons- like when I, when I think of the definition of a home base or, or the idea of a home base, uh, sometimes I get this kind of small debate in my mind of is the home base the the property? So like let's say it's a guild, a guild house. Is it just the building, or can you consider uh, like a hub town to be kind of like a home base? H- how do you feel about that, Chris? Yeah, I think it's more about um, affiliation than actually the the building. In my Uberstrike campaign, they are running a city so the city is kind of their home base and obviously the city is not their goal is to make the city safe Mm -hmm. so for me it really feels like the home base but the characters also have like a house an estate but there's no quest attached to it it's it's basically like a locked chest like you put stuff there and it's secured where the city is where the actual like quest hook and 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 
and really mechanical stuff happen. So how about you though? Like, is it building or is it more guild? What's your conclusion on this question? Uh, I don't. I don't really know if I have a conclusion. But I, <laughs> I, in terms of our, in in terms of the Rising Tide campaign with with the boat, obviously it's it's your boat, right? It's it's not the surrounding relationships of the boat, but there it's because there's a clear distinction. But yeah, yeah, it, I I I think I do include the crew as part of this home base. Uh, I I'm gonna say. I'm going to try to be decisive and say, yes, the crew is part of the home base. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if, if the boat is destroyed and the whole crew moves to another boat, it becomes the new headquarter. So I guess, anyway, I'm not, this is a distinction maybe that is not super important to the listener, I guess, but it's, it's, it's kind of like a home, right? It's where your family goes, but your home is where the family is. It's not really the house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, the reason why I I've been having the internal debate though of, of like a stomping grounds versus the property ownership is because I I'm starting to wonder if you can consider a hub town without a guild without an affiliation if if you're a party and you keep going back to the same home home base home base with quotes like it's not really a base but you're always frequenting the same market you always go to the same blacksmith he gets to know you etc etc you start to as a player you might assume like oh this blacksmith knows me maybe he's going to give me a good deal or oh uh the the innkeeper knows me and maybe he'll let me perform a song on the stage and and have people listen in so it this kind of these perks that start to get created almost feels like the the beginning of a home base if that makes sense Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would probably ask like, where do they sleep and where do they put their money? And that would be like the center core. But I agree with you that the surroundings are also part of what makes that location actually appealing and getting the booms of knowing what's around it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Um, so I think that covers at least the, the the groundwork. What a home base is, or what we consider to be a home base. I'm not sure if if you guys if you listen if you guys listening manage to to find any kind of consensus there but i think that the general rule of thumb is a place where you can put money in you can you can feel relatively safe and you get some perks out of um i wonder if now would be a good time for us chris to flesh out our examples a little bit more yeah sure do you want to take a talk about your boat first since you started talking about it then maybe i can take it away with something some other examples after yeah yeah for sure um so as i mentioned before i have a pirate campaign Chris is is part of it, and a few of my other friends are part of it. And the the team, the the pirate crew, are in possession of a ship. It's called the Wave Breaker. It's a it's a medium sized ship. We assume that there's you know somewhere between forty and and sixty crew members on the ship, uh, potentially more. We've never actually I think counted it out, and that is because the ship itself is a very uh, narrative-driven headquarters. Like I mentioned, it's, it's a place where you guys can gather, you can have fun interactions. You've actually contributed to the creation of a handful of the NPCs that, that are part of your crew and that live on the ship, that go on adventures with you. And so far, that's kind of been the extent of it. Uh, I've had you guys purchase 
small things with ro like role play money. So it's not actually come out of your purse, but we, you know, you've uh, fixed the boat up when there was a fire. You bought new sails for it. Uh, you've you've lost a cannon out of, out of your six cannons. You've lost one of the cannons in a storm. So there's some of the things that we're keeping track of, but for the most part, those those elements contribute to the narrative that that you guys are experiencing as you play through the game. Uh, yeah, and you mentioned it, it being narrative, and I think I, I watched actually this morning a video about like uh, soft world building and hard world building, I guess, on the Hello World uh, channel, and it was interesting, like the parallel we can do here, which is like. Well, we don't exactly know how the boat works, but we know it does, and we don't really need to know the details of it. We just need to flesh out the NPCs that are on the boat that are actually interesting to the story right now, and as we need more, we'll flesh out more of what's going on. And like you said, like, oh, we have a mission, we lost a cannon, then, then it becomes important, like, the cannon becomes important. And yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think it's it's definitely going to be something we're going to talk about throughout this discussion is how fleshed out you want it to be. And both are very valid and both have um, kind of like their pros and cons. But um, this narrative aspect, like when you mentioned 40 to, did you say 40 to 60 people on the boat? I was I'm not even like, sure. I'm not even sure it's ever come up. Like I didn't think that was the amount of people, that many people. And it kind of shows that even knowing how many people are is on the boat is not relevant to the story damage. It's never come up, I don't think. Like no. we've mm -hmm. been play we probably played what, let's say eighteen or twenty four to five hour games, something like that. Mm -hmm. And and it's yeah, it's it's never really come up. We've just created a couple of NPCs as needed. Um and like you said, that just goes to show how we've been using the home base as kind of like a, a pillar for the crew to ground themselves on, if that kind of makes yeah. sense. And something interesting that happened, and we mentioned it in another episode, I'm not sure if it was, if it was on the YouTube or the podcast, but it's the fact that it create the boat is such a different, there's a different ambience, a different mood on the boat, where it's a lot more, like like you said, we let our hair down, we, we, we make more like jokes, and it becomes kind of like, this different role play like we role play more like friends it's not like we're on the mission we're at work this is the place where we're hanging out mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and to be honest i'm really happy to hear you say that because it it's almost like an outlet right you, you go to the boat as you have your downtime as you're traveling or what have you it 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 lets the players have that moment of levity and then when you get off the boat and you 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 go to raid the the enemy mansion, well, okay, now back to business. Like stuff's starting to happen, uh, so it it creates a, a nice distinction between, like you said, the, the fun light aspects of the game and the mm -hmm. more high high tension, high drama moments of the game. Yeah, and I think I think we're touching on on one of the the reward of having a headquarter if you're a player or a game master in. Because I'm thinking of in the Blood and Betrayal campaign, the one where where you're a, a player, it was always about mission, 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 and all the role plays were really intense, either sad or very passion, like very uh, high stake. 
like uh, intense. They were like they, usually about something really serious. Yeah. And when we did our our exercise of this improv game, we talked in previous podcast episodes. Um, we were doing these scenes that were supposed to be a little bit more fun and like joke, and it was often at the headquarters, right? We yeah. imagined yeah. that place to be where the people chat about their I don't know their childhood pet and their ambition to be a great cook or anything you can think of that is not really related to an actual quest it makes sense that it happens there yeah yeah um i mean i have i have more to say about the boat but i think we can touch upon it a little bit later chris did you want to talk about an example that uh maybe we can try to contrast a little bit yeah so when we we talked about what example we would mention i have i have different example in different games but to contrast this narrative aspect of this this boat I played once in my, so my brother was my game master and I was a wizard and I was building a wizard tower. So there was this whole quest with a secret organization and stuff. And at the moment I had a chance to build this, it's kind of like a small city, but the tower was kind of like the main building. I wanted to, to, to build that. I don't remember if it's I wanted or the game master, like my brother pushed it, uh, but it, it was very fun and it was very mechanical, mechanically, uh, mechanically, I don't know, intense. It was charts on Excels. So my brother had stuff like, okay, how much resources you'd get? And I would invest. I would invest, invest in spies, in masons, making my, uh, my building stronger, getting my tower higher. And depending on what I would spend money on, I would get boons. And also there would be random events that would happen. People that would come, am I letting them in? I, there would be spies. I need to make sure I don't have spies inside because I had a, a rivalry with a nearby town. And, and the game became this board game, this uh, very interesting board game where I was not really, and maybe something important to say is this was a solo game. I was the only player in it. Mm, um, okay. so I was managing <laughs> like role playing at this point for like a, at least a couple of months, maybe more was me and my brother at a table and me having charts and saying, okay, I will spend money there, there, there. He would put it in his Excel spreadsheet and then roll some random events and we would deal with it. And it would kind of like be the campaign. It would be managing this. And my, my, my brother's an accountant, so he, he loves this <laughs> shit, right? He loves managing charts. And, and I think that's the opposite of narrative. There was some story there, but I would rarely take my character and actually go on a quest. It was more about sending people on a quest. Think of, um, what's the board game of D&D, which is uh, in the Waterdeep, Shadow of Waterdeep or something? It's not, mm -hmm. it's not the right. But it's... Yeah, it's like it. there's guilds and there's uh, you need to send fighters and scouts and cleric and stuff to do some missions. That was the feeling. And, and you can see right away that this boat example could be just the source of a narrative. And you could put quests, but in your example, it's not even a quest attached. Not that much anymore. Anyway, but the tower was, it was the quest. So I think this contrasts a lot the spectrum of what you can do with a home base. Um, so Chris, um, just to ask you a question about that, yeah. that tower. So like, was the tower then central? I mean, it had to be like a central component in the campaign that you were running. 
so like it had narrative reason but it just was not a narrative game like is that kind of no i mean the the i think the narrative reason was i was joining some kind of organization yeah and i wanted to have the tower i don't remember if it was to get like a very good premonition or i think it might be it it was maybe to establish a, like a teleportation circle that i like i would kind of create an outpost for this order so the goal was to bring that tower to a certain level of like i would spend enough resources to get that tower to after 2 years and uh, 2 years in the game time i would have it done but at the same time i needed to generate the income and i needed to make sure it's secure and i needed to make like some people were coming to attack me so am i politically convincing them not to or am i building my defenses but while i'm doing this i'm not building my tower so it was all about resource management to reach that end goal did it require your presence or could you like kind of put it on autopilot and and go do something else it wasn't it's, it wasn't really a possibility because i think my brother if i would leave the i could like put someone in charge but i wouldn't be there to make decisions so it would just go really basic decision and then mm -hmm. that's not great for the, the goal was to build that tower for for me to stay there it was never an, a, an i don't remember it being a possibility to just leave the town because it yeah. was my main objective at this time and just to be clear i had fun like this yeah it's what you wanted to do was yeah, that the campaign yeah. and at one point it was like okay it's <laughs> let's move on this this is done and let's do a little bit more quest in between those uh maybe i get a spy tell me um information and i personally need to deal with it to like go and have a political meeting for instance mm -hmm. um so stuff like that but i mean the example is more just to show that you can be very mechanically heavy yeah and still have fun with the with a home base or a headquarter or a tower or stronghold whatever you want to call it from this we can go to like okay sure here's our two two very extreme examples well especially the tower i'd say but why why would you want a home base like what should the listener think about if if they they are considering a home base um well one of the main reasons i kicked this I, I started the campaign with a home base like you guys had a boat one second into the game <laughs> yeah. um, and it was because i wanted to basically force team cohesion <laughs> uh, like I, I say that jokingly obviously we discussed it first and everyone was okay with with it but it, it, it was a way to have everybody have this sense of unity this sense of collaboration right out of the get-go this is something that in previous games where that i've played in especially when i was a new player or a very new game master i felt like oftentimes the player characters had a hard time explaining or reasoning to themselves why they wouldn't betray the rest of the party mm -hmm. and i i say this I, I wasn't playing with people who intentionally wanted to but they like if they were playing a rogue who looked out for themselves and they were a new player who, who didn't have experience with uh, character objectives and, and team unity usually they would start to drift away so the having the ship having a vessel and having a home base to me served that pillar that grounded everybody together 
in a in a natural way. So if you're having trouble with team unity, it, it could be something to consider. Yeah, I think I think this is a big one. And also in the Blood and Betrayal campaign, it was kind of like that. The first I didn't start with the with the big unifying like the order for the list that we have now, but there was like this big threat and everybody was unified for that threat. But once we were like halfway or maybe even three quarters, I'd say probably halfway, I started seeing like, they're like, okay, well, once they're done with this, once they're the, 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 the vanquished is big evil, what are they, why are they together? And mm -hmm. then that's when I was like, oh, I'll put this Ordo Fidelis who has like this greater mission that will unify them. And, and I think it worked very well. And, and, and the, the, the pros that it comes with that, the, the big boon is the fact that now we have this possibility of having new players come in and they will be unified right at the get-go, kind of like your boat. If yeah. someone, a player dies, we can either take someone that is one of the 40 other crew member and just flesh them out and boom, you're now part of this 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 crew this uh the special team that go on mission yeah no for sure and it and you kind of speak to something else right you, you talk about teams that go on missions so having this this headquarters or a guild or what have you kind of tells the story that there's other people on on the boat or other people that are part of the order that are potentially doing their own actions that are are following their own adventures, doing their own actions that we potentially aren't a hundred percent aware of, or, or our characters are aware of, and we just know that it's kind of in line with the general guidelines of the order or the guild or what have you. But like you said, it it provides a source of other adventures. So if you have a stagnation of quest hooks, having people having another NPC that's part of the order say, oh, we need help with this thing. You know, this important person came to the order, help me go go fix it. Or having other NPCs arrive at the doorstep of the guild, knocking urgently, saying they have something going on. It, it, it kind of creates this hub of adventure. Yeah. Uh, in, in my Uberstrike campaign, it's kind of like the goal is this. So there was a season one that I'm not going to talk about. I called them, I separate them in in seasons, but like the season one was getting to the point where they was they were advisor to managing the city. Now the season two will be getting the city secured. And what's going to happen is the I also have a bunch of expert spreadsheets, but they're done between games. And what's going to happen is going to is going to spend resources to find out what's the problem in the city. Oh, there's a criminal underground. Oh, there's corruption there. Oh, the temple is uh, doesn't have any money to feed the poor and stuff like that. And they'll take the focus where they want, but wherever they put it, they're going to find quest hooks. And then they'll have to deal with it. So the, the headquarter is more about leaving them the opportunity to choose where they want to put the focus. And then that tells me what quest hook they're choosing. It's almost like, Chris, the the... Obviously, this is more like your example is far more intricate than this, but it's it's like the billboard, right? Like the billboard in the inn with a bunch of quest hooks attached to it. H having a home base provides this kind of environment for quests to pile up, 
and then for the players to choose the one that they think is the most important or the most relevant. And by doing that, also, they're saying, hey, we're going to ignore these other things. So potentially, things start to fall apart if they if they don't go save the town that's having a drought or they don't go fight mm-hmm. the bandits that are attacking the the village the farmers nearby or what have you um, yeah that's that's why we like this sounds more and more like a west marshall's game like talking about it and that's why there's from uh, at least from what i know in a west marshall game you should have a headquarters right where everybody meets and then they go on missions because they have their their quest hooks and what are other things we can use a base for, Chris? I think it depends a lot of like what's the flavor you want to give it, uh, right? So if if you want to run something that's a military campaign, for instance, this headquarters will take a very different aspect. Where I would imagine training grounds and spending money on getting better armor because you know there's a war to come, either a civil war or there's a big threat coming. And your headquarters again is where you sleep, where you put your money, uh, where you invest. But the goal, like my tower was getting this, let's say, teleportation done, where you can give a military aspect to it, where you build an army. And that can be very rewarding and campaign-centric, too. It certainly has a dependency on the type of game you're playing, the mood your game has, um, and the ambiance you're trying to set. So those are all things to consider. Something else, I think, is that's a really good reason to incorporate uh, a home base or some kind of guild affiliation is if you want to make your players more accountable for their actions. If players are part of a guild and wear the guild colors, when they go out and you know attack bandits, they're going to get positive reputation for doing that if there are witnesses to see them uh, conduct that activity. The same goes for when they do potentially less desirable activities. If, you know, they catch a bunch of bandits but show them absolutely mercy and murder them on the spot, the farmer that, you know, called upon the guild to help them, maybe he wasn't exactly expecting you to assassinate them all, but rather was expecting you to bring them to justice and, and, you know, put them in prison. So these kinds of knockback effect, or, or rather the consequences of the actions that the players take can now kind of follow them a little bit they can follow them back to the guild you can follow them back to their hometown and there could be great advantages if they act the way the guild incentivizes them to act or there could be some drama if they don't do it yeah and people maybe and other npc coming in the future and again we could do quest hooks with this and uh it, it creates, like you said, drama within the within also the players. Uh, maybe the the execution you're talking about was done by the barbarian without consulting with the rest of the team, and then people will actually confront him mm-hmm. for that reason. It, it adds stakes, right? Like before, when you weren't part of the guild, you maybe would have let him do it, but now you know, like, hey, you can't just do that. Like, you're now soiling our names too, kind of thing. Um, yeah, so like we, yeah, it, it gives the other characters just the right push to potentially intervene. Um, another use for headquarters, and this one we, we kind of like glanced over it quickly, but it's it's a great use for money, <laughs> for for rewards. So if your players are sitting on piles of gold, why not let them invest it in something concrete? I mean, it's it's a great reward. 
support that they can give themselves, I think. Right, Chris? Yeah, and, and I think I think something we often forget, it's it like you and I are really all about like narrative and quests and having unified like we talked about objectives and having the group objective. But sometimes you can run a game that's very fun with just wanting to get money, like kind of like more bash in the door, getting to a Dungeon and Dragon. It's like uh, Dungeon and Dragon old style, uh, old school, I'd say, is like getting there, getting the money. But what to do with the money? This is how the barbarian and the wizard can agree on how to use money. Mm-hmm. It's okay, we have this base. And maybe you can flesh out exactly the rewards that come from spending money on one part and the other. And we'll talk about that maybe a little bit later. But uh, it becomes the, the party funds become this physical space to use the money. And depending on what campaign you're running, like we said, the, the, it could be a barrack for a military campaign, could be a temple to have like something that the, your campaign is a little bit more based on religion or any kind of organization that you can build this reputation or have spies on uh, it, in the, the, the organization, then that money becomes relevant to every players. And mm-hmm. then we go back to unity now, right? To having this party uh, cohesion. So, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about why you may want to use a home base. We obviously talked a little bit more about narrative reasons than the mechanical ones. And, and this kind of uh, bleeds into a question that we got on Twitter. We got a question from Podcast IR, also known as Imaginary Ramblings, and they asked us, do you prefer gamified, pool-heavy home bases or simple role-play-heavy home bases, and why? And I think it's clear that we lean a little bit heavier towards the um, narrative ones, um, or at least I do. Chris, would you like to proclaim yourself on the subject <laughs> yeah that's actually a good uh, that's a very good question and that's that's a hard one for me to answer i think uh as a player if i i'm the game master um that is running for me does it at the very rule heavy i like it i don't mind it and i i will enjoy it for what it is and if it's narratively i also will enjoy it for what it is um i like board games so i don't mind seeing it as a board game the problem is, if you have multiple people, I think a really gamified, rule-heavy... If you're coming to a role-playing game, you probably don't... That's that's not the focus. It, it feels like it's just not really the game that most people associate with role-playing games, so I'd be very careful with that. As a game master, I my optimal is kind of a, a hybrid, and it would be, like I said, that's what I'm running right now in, in my Ubersprite campaign, and it's rule heavy ish uh so mechanical stuff that like with points for different aspects between adventures but that's not the adventure and there's possibility for the role play associated with running the city for instance so i i don't want it to stop the game i so okay here's my criteria my criteria is if people don't want to do the gamified rules, they sh- should not have to. So if it's in, in between and I have like, let's say I have four players and two are very interested in that, then they will run this board game version, gamified version of it. But the other two are not interested. They're fine with letting it on, on autopilot. Perfect. We'll, we'll have a chat, 
on uh, either uh, WhatsApp or whatever uh, with those two players. But the games, when we actually all sit down together, is not about managing the city and just doing the number crunching. It's about doing the role play and it's about the adventures. Yeah, that's I I, I like the that that you make that distinction. I mean, I I used hyperbole kind of intentionally there. Obviously, there are benefits right to having gamified systems, and to say that I dislike them a hundred percent is wrong. Like, I kind of like the idea that if I want to pay attention to it, if I want to say, hey, you know, it could be really fun to like put an addition onto the onto the home base and like maybe in that addition we could have a little bar and like we could get some funds for the for the guild and could maybe meet some fun NPCs and have cool interactions there. To me, that if if there is a, a bona fide way for us to achieve that through a very simple gamified system that I can weigh in on a little bit of the time. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And and I think you put your finger on it there. That's 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 the thing. It's the level of how you want to gamify it is depends on your your players. And yeah. I, I'm going to ask you a question about that a little bit after. But I think as a player, you are like that. That if I put mechanics that are not super tedious you you will engage with it when you want it and not when you don't want to uh but that's the thing and i, I remember asking it for the uh, for the blood and betrayal campaign i remember asking you guys so what do you want do you want something every month do you want something you want to manage money do you want to be able to invest what would you want and the table were saying well if we want to have like bursts of money and and have boons coming with it that's great but we don't want to have to deal with it on a consistent basis and that's how I, I know, okay, this is part of my design. I love designing those things. I'm mm-hmm. not going to do this big table with numbers. Where my brother for season two actually came to me and asked me for that system. So it really depends on your player. Is there's, if there's a, a big difference, a big gap between what the game master wants to do with this mechanic, either if it's used from a uh, maybe some kind of supplement uh, that you're using for your game or that you're making it yourself the players have to be on board because they have to engage with it i like to see it as like a mini game for me it's like if this is a mini game that i can play and it has to be fun for me not for my character because i want to i want to go on a go on an edge here and say these games completely take you out of the immersion of your character right like your your or at least they do to me so if it can be fun and engaging for 10 to 15 minutes cool and then we get a fun reward later down the road great but like you said if it's like half the game or more it's that's not what a role-playing game is to me um i i did this mini game or i'm i tried to build a, a kind of mini game like this with the boat where whenever we travel we kind of like have a string and the string you put the string on the map and you can like there's distances you can travel before your boat needs resources and to me that was a a pretty decent balance where it's like okay here's the map here's the string let's try to get to our destination if we can get there fast enough based on the length of the string good 
and I can interrupt that at any time with roleplay or an interrupt or some kind of in-game, like in-character activity. So to me, that was an interesting way to have... It's it's not really home-based management, mind you. It's, it's more travel. But uh, it's an example of a small gamified minigame that I think takes no more than 10-15 minutes to achieve. Unless you guys want to plan your route and everyone's having fun, then it lasts a bit longer. But um, yeah, but I think it applies. Like you said, oh, it's travel. But the thing is, your home base is a boat. So managing the resources of the boat while we travel is actually home base managing, mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. even though it's travel. And it's because it's a boat. But uh, the question I wanted to ask you, like when you said, like, oh, I like this balance. I don't, I don't mind have this this time I can focus on. But as a game master, do you like running? those gamified or you think it's more like something that needs to be there to have a full experience um that's a good question and i think it the reason why i kind of want i sorry let me start over i i do think that home bases should have a little bit of that from the game master's perspective because it, it gives i think it gives a bit more I don't want to say credibility to the home base, but like I feel like one of the pillars in a home base is the fact that it costs money, is the fact that you know it can be adapted to what the players want it to be. And I and personally I feel like our boat in the rising tide is missing a little bit of that. Like it's great that it's narrative and it's great that it creates team unity. And I think for the purposes of how much we've played up until now, it's done a really good job at meeting those criteria. And but, but there's a small part of me that feels like it's lacking that element of getting your involvement, like getting player involvement in the upgradability of the boat. And as soon as I enter into that world, I feel like there needs to be some kind of mechanic, right? There needs to be some kind of system to allow for the progression to happen. Even if it's simple, like XP and that's it, like something needs to reward that XP and you guys need to spend it. Yeah. Um, But do you, to come back to my, I think that's, I totally agree. And I think that's a perfect answer to, do you think it needs it? But do you enjoy running it or do you want to, implement this just because you feel you need that involvement from the players and it gives credibility. But do you like running that part of the game? Uh, I, I guess I don't mind running it as much as when I'm playing. Like, if I'm playing, I don't like it because I feel like it ruins my immersion. When I'm a game master, I feel like I'm less against it because I don't have to worry about being in the skin of my character as much. I kind of like skim the surface of a bunch of NPCs um, and I'm always engaged in what's going on. So maybe it's a selfish answer, but as the game master, I feel like because of my level of involvement, it increases my level of enjoyability, perhaps. Hmm. That's not the answer I expected, so that's good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How about you? I, I love coming up with those systems. I... I don't know why I love I love the the 
the chart building and the thinking of how okay if they bring religion up it's going to lower corruption and also build the influence and because they're using the sigmar it's going to also uh, improve uh, uh, public um, order and you yeah. know it's it's, it's I, I love doing this and it, it probably never will show but the, the behind it it becomes kind of like a board game or even a video game I love like Total War Warhammer, for instance, which is like managing cities. And yes, there's the battle, but it's also like the, keeping the public order and stuff like that. So I, I love building it. Uh, yeah, it's I like a creative I, process, right? It's like a creative puzzle to try to balance it, to try to make it. Um, yeah. And what I like about it is that it doesn't need to be perfectly balanced because it's a role-playing game. The goal is not to have two players take that and be equivalent the goal is just to for it to emerge story mm -hmm. to emerge story from it so so i don't mind too much about balancing but yes there is needs to be some equivalence in terms of if you put resource on a or on b uh, it needs to be a choice that is more narrative than just optimal op optimal because they won't yeah. know exactly how the system works and that's a big difference from a board game there's no rules the thing I just said about like putting money there will affect this and this, I'm not going to tell them that. They might figure it out if they spend money for spies or recon or whatever. That's how they're going to figure out what the system works. So finding out how the system works is also part of the game. But okay, okay. I like creating this, but I think running it is as fun for me as the players have fun doing it. Uh, it's kind of like when we were writing poems the other day. If people are like enjoying it, I will have a blast being part of it. But if mm -hmm. it's tedious for people, I don't want to run it. Um, yeah, and I, I think that's kind of where where I stand too, right? Like if if I feel like I'm forcing it down my player's throat, obviously I don't want to be doing it. But if it's something that my players want to be doing or or they seem to be enjoying. I think part of it is like that that um, positive reinforcement. Like, here's this game that I tried to build for you guys, and then you let, let's let's play it together. And if they seem to be getting a kick out of it, it like gives gives you that reward as a game master. Like, oh, okay, I did a good job. I gave them something that they wanted. So I think regardless of what it is, and maybe I'm wrong, but regardless of what it is, that feeling makes game mastering fun. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, there are preferences. Like, I, I wouldn't want to be running a spreadsheet for 45 minutes in a game. Don't get, like, don't get me wrong. When I say I, I don't mind it, or I, I, I enjoy it, I enjoy it in, in small chunks. I don't think I could handle game mastering the game with the tower that you were talking about earlier <laughs> <laughs> no me neither to be honest because that's not i mean it was fun but it like in my mind it was no longer a role-playing game for that 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 time where i was building this tower yeah yeah okay cool um so i hope that answers your question imaginary ramblings i know we kind of rambled on about different things but um that's kind of where we stand if you mm -hmm. can make any sense of it. Uh <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the takeaway for me would be like, uh, I love gamified, but I'll gamify it as much as my players will let me. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. I mean, as a, as a game master, 
I also fit into this where I think gamified mini games of like 10 to 15 minutes have their place and can be fun to run. As a player, I also don't, I, I will put up with mini games, but I would prefer there to be uh, more narrative influence. And obviously I want to have, like, I want to have a say in how the home base changes or evolves, how we spend our resources. Don't ask me to spend them. <laughs> Don't ask me to keep track of them. Um, There's a lot of pros in having those headquarters. We we mentioned a lot of it, but what are the cons of kind of like creating structure around? What's the negative maybe side effects that come up when you're you're building the structure? Do you have anything you want to start us up with? Yeah, um, negatives. Well, one of the negatives I've I've been noticing especially with 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 our, with my game that i'm you know the game i'm running with the, the pirate ship boat is that because it's so narrative and here here we enter into a, a, a specific case but if, if you have a very narrative home base now I'm, i'm starting to feel like other than for narrative reasons and and me telling my players that the home base was important to them i'm trying to find a way or reason to make it important to them in game i want there to be uh a sense of, of more a bigger sense of pride and ownership in the vessel i i want the boat to be a character kind of within itself so it's more than just a place for your supplies and where your crew is you know I want the players to feel loss if the boat were to take damage, be 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 caught in a flame or what have you. Um, and I, I think some of the players might like lean into the narrative enough to still feel that, but it's definitely a challenge. Um, but I'm I'm not sure it's the that a, a very broad challenge. So let's kind of skim over this and go on to something. For me, uh, right now, the, the the problem I have with season two now they're like advisors and running the city is that sometimes I have quest ideas or some things that happen that it's like okay, you're you're an advisor, you have a certain status, you're you're a powerful elf or a powerful person, and you learn that there are a scaven there is a scaven problem in the sewers. Okay, great, you find that, but are you actually going to go there? You're a high member of the council. You're not going to go in the sewers, kill some a bunch of rats. So what are you going to do? You're going to spend money and send adventurers that that should that should be the adventure. Like you should be the one getting hired to do and go in the sewers and clear, clear the scavens. But I'm kind of like past that. So it's I mean it, it's kind of like in D&D when you go up in levels, there's the kind of mission you're going to do at level 15 are not the same at level 3, but create like giving this as a reward giving this status as a reward is cool but it's limiting me and i often find myself having to reflect on like why would they actually act upon this quest hook mm -hmm. yeah um uh, another challenge that i think can can come with with home bases is if it's a home base like a temple building or a city it kind of centralizes the game around that right if travel 
if if the players don't have a boat or don't have a flying vessel or what have you, it, it becomes very difficult for them to justify leaving their home base. In your example, Chris, with your tower, like you said, part of the game, most of the game was spent managing the tower. And granted, that was most of the game, like that, that was your fun. But if you want the home base to be this important element and reward to the players, you, you also don't want it to be a reason for them not to go on far-flung adventures, right? That it's finding a way to allow them to do both. I think the boat is a good way to do that, but obviously not not all types of campaigns will be centered around a, a living home base. So Yeah, and, and I remember us talking about this this problem with home base because we were around a fire with Vince and 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 you said like oh, I'd like to have a home base for unification, but the problem is the centralization problem. And I, it was Vince who said, well, they don't have that problem in sci-fi because it's always like a ship and the crew. And then you're like, well, we can do that with fantasy. I'll do a rising like rising tide with pirates and stuff. And it's like, oh yeah. And that was kind of like your basis is getting that problem fixed, the centralization mm -hmm. problem. Obviously, it doesn't fix all the problems, but it, it does help for this one at least. Something too, maybe I can use this as a, a warning to myself five <laughs> years, five or ten years ago. But um, I remember coming across one of the first home bases that I had to run. And my gut reaction was like, okay, I'm going to have to have some spreadsheets here to keep track of the crew and keep track of the money and keep track of all these things. And I kind of like very quickly overwhelmed myself with the amount of things that I thought I needed to keep track of. So I think it's a challenge that, you know, for those of you out there listening, I hope we've kind of tried to make you realize this already, but a home base can be narrative. You don't need to have spreadsheets. So just something to keep in mind. Yeah, and, and the thing is, if you have a very detailed spreadsheet with like missions and place to, place, uh, to put resources, and you put that in front of your players, your players will see that as a signal of a signal of I need to interact with this. This is important. And that might actually not be your intention in the sense that it might shift their priorities. It might go from, oh, we had this uh, upcoming villain. The, the villain had a plan of bringing the end of time. Uh, and we were going that way. But now the game master is putting these options in front of me. So I'll need to shift my focus. And then it can actually derail from what you actually want to do. You want to open up and give more options. But like we said about railroading and sandboxing, giving more options sometimes can result in a lack of focus. And opening these options for the headquarters, you need to be okay with them following through. Uh, like I said with my brother and uh, my Uber Strike campaign with the, the managing the city, it is what fuels, it's what links all the stories together. So that's how I used it. But if I was going to do something else and having the city on the side, that would be a problem. I would not design it that way at all. Mm -hmm. So we're running a little bit long, Chris. So I, if, if you're cool with it, let's move on to maybe yep. something else. Um, and you talked a little bit about systems. So I think this kind of segues nicely into a question that we got from another individual on Twitter. This was from uh, Tormented by Gnomes. So thanks for your question. Uh, the question is, if you have a favorite rule supplement for 5th edition, great examples of how specific game systems use home bases, that'd be awesome. So he's, he's asking us to share uh, 
some of the, the systems that we're aware of in different games or as supplements. So obviously, Chris, you have your, your homebrew system. Excuse me, my voice just cracked. <laughs> you have your, your homebrew systems. Did you want to talk a little bit about that yeah, in response sure. well, to this? Yeah, I mean, I love making my home homebrew system, and I've done it in multiple different systems. I'll, I'll go into details a little bit, but what I'll say is that for me, the reason I homebrew it is mainly because of what we mentioned before of like, I want to tailor it to my players and what they actually want to do. If, if I just maybe take a parenthesis because he's asking or he or she or they are asking for a uh, 5e, I mean, I think the 5e supplement for home base is the one that comes to mind, at least, is Stronghold and Followers from Matthew Coville. It's, it's a great supplement, and you can do a lot with it. It's called Stronghold and Followers, and they, he details in it different kind of strongholds. He talks about a keep, a tower, a temple, and an establishment, which is kind of like more like gathering intel. So it kind of links to what we've been saying. Like, do you want to do a military thing, something that's more getting spells or more really religion-oriented? And then there's a, a bunch that are related just to class. So like there's a barbarian camp, a cleric's church, a monk's monastery. So And there's a big list. So I'd say if you run 5e and you want to do that kind of home base, this is your go-to. And then you can actually attract followers and build quests around that. So that I would suggest. But the problem with that, for me at least, is that this feels a very rule-heavy. And that might be exactly what you need. But if your players are not exactly interested in doing that, you might want to homebrew it. And that's where I, I come from. I start with my intention and then I build a thing. So... Matt, what kind of other system you have? Well, I don't have a whole lot of homebrew systems for home bases, but I do know a few different game systems that I have inspired myself from. So the, the first one that I've actually been looking into quite uh, seriously, and I'm trying to potentially translate it into our game, Chris, for, for the boat, actually, it's from the Fate, the Fate system. So there's a Fate supplement for for pirate games and for for seafaring games i'm going to link it in the in the doobly-doo or in the show notes for the podcast rather and the ultimately what they're saying is your vessel should be a character it should have its own character sheet it should have its own uh in the fate system they call them aspects so they're kind of like defining characteristics narrative characteristics about the boat so it could be like for instance the fastest boat in the in, you know in the south pacific or it could be like a hull of steel that can, can't be penetrated by cannon fire or etc cetera, etc cetera. So, so you would give it these characteristics and it would also have fate points which are kind of like uh the equivalent to inspiration in, in dungeons and dragons so if the vessel gets attacked the players like the party have a stack of fate points that the boat can use and they can they can flip them and and give advantages to the boat to the to the to the home base to withstand an attack or to go faster etc etc um, so it's something that i'm considering that i that i think is kind of neat it it not only gives a concrete definition of what the home base is but it makes the players i guess um, it, it allows the players to control its utility to a certain degree, and and the players can update 
the vessel's characteristics as as time goes on. So if something breaks and they replace it, they can change uh, some of those aspects. So I think that's that's kind of neat. I'm considering doing that. Um, and there's another system that I haven't run yet, but I have the the the, the core rulebook, and it's called Blades in the Dark, and it's by uh, Evil Hat Productions, and it's a thief like a like a thief, thieving type of game where you play in this city. The setting is part of the the core rulebook, and you play in this one town, and you know go about doing all kinds of like thieves guildy type of activities. It's uh it's kind of cool, but I won't go too much more into the setting. But what I will say is the way that they do home bases is they focus more on the crew itself. So when you actually create your party, the party decides what kind of crew they want to be a part of. You know, they can be a part of like a a more espionage type guild, or they can be part of a more like cultist type of group, etc., etc. And based on the crew that they select, they get a lair, they get a home base, and that home base comes with a uh, a tree, like a layout, almost like a map of the city with zones. And your home base is in the middle, and the home base is connected to the different zones through different nodes. And as you level up, and as you level up your home base, you get to unlock parts of the city and get uh, advantages. So depending on what kind of what kind of crew you have, let's say you're a, a cultist crew, as you level up your lair, you gain a contact who's part of the church, for instance, in a certain part of the city. If you if you select that that uh, level up or you perhaps you unlock a, a sanctum that your characters can go to and it's like a, a, a temple that they're safe from from certain things from etc etc so it, it's kind of neat like it, it it's almost like a skill tree but for your home base and the reason why i like it so much is because it's rather simple. You you make that decision, or the, the party makes that decision when they level up, and they can you know reap the benefits of that decision. And then you can you can play long game. You can unlock certain elements of the tree to to go to the very end and get the super cool power up at the end. Or you can kind of do it one one level at a time and, and make the decisions as you as you need them. So that's uh you know something that you should potentially look into. I thought it was pretty creative. Uh, again, it's called Blades in the Dark by by Evil Hat Productions. Great. I think, yeah, it, it's, it sounds very interesting. And I think maybe we'll conclude with, I'll talk a little bit of my homebrew, but as I go with my homebrew, I think I think we can see there's common thread here. There's the, when we think about, when we think about home base, if you want to go mechanically a little bit, it should be about spending money. It's like that with Stronghold and Followers, Blades in the Dark. Well, money are like resources, Right. Um, in the Warmer Fantasy Roleplay 4th Edition, I based my system around their mechanics for uh, downtime, they called it Between Adventures. And they have a mechanic where they do general endeavors, uh, endeavors between the campaign. And you can do like banking, which means put money aside. Uh, they consult an expert, do commission, crafting, invent, uh, training, stuff like that. 
And then you have specific ones for different class. What I did is like I based my headquarters as you can get bonuses in these endeavors. So there's one that is reputation, for instance. Well, if you want to make your home base look very nice, then it's going to help your, 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 your role when you do this action. So the actions are already all, all there. Study a mark if you're a rogue. Well, if you're running this kind of establishment, like you're talking about, Matt, in your game, then you're going to get bonus on this action. So all other actions are available, but depending on your choices, mm-hmm. you'll get bonuses. And that's the other thing. It's spending money, but it's also getting bonuses for them. Is it raising army? Is it, is it researching a spell? Is it spies? That's up to you. And I think that's where I'm talking about homebrew. Most of the system we're talking about, when they do a whole fleshed out, they give this these possible branches, these possible opportunities. But maybe if you are running some kind of like a rogue-centric game with a lot of people that are underground, then you don't need to flesh out necessarily all the other possibilities, just what you need. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I hope that answers your question, um, Tormented by Gnomes. Uh, there's so many great systems out there, and these are just a handful of them. But these are some neat perspectives on the systems that they use for home bases. Um, so let's do a quick wrap-up, Chris, of what we talked about in today's episode. Obviously, we started off by talking about what a home base was. And I think our consensus was it's a place where players can go. It's like a central pillar, uh, oftentimes making them feel safe let their hair down, and have some fun, but also a place where they can spend time, resources, and money, etc., upgrading it to their liking. And of course, you can make that an important part of the home base or a less important part based on preference. Yeah, and then we talked about why would you want a home base, and we talked about the big, the big uh, group cohesion, unity that, is, that comes from having this kind of home base headquarters the possibility of a lot of quest hooks and also putting focus to your campaign. Is it military? Is it religious? Uh, is it just a spy organization? How are you going to run this? Mm-hmm. Then we talked about our preferences and then we touched on challenges. So obviously there are some challenges with having a home base. Uh, you know, if you give it to players too soon, they get this reputation and my baby is awake. So I'm going to have to really <laughs> wrap up fast. Um, and, and also it can cause centralization, which can, can be bad if you, know, if you want the players to really explore the world. Yeah, and then uh, we finished by talking about different kind of supplements that, uh, in, in, that inspired us for different kind of design. So if uh, you like this episode, we encourage you to give us five stars on iTunes or, or give us a like on Spotify. And if you have questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to us. You can do so by contacting us on Twitter. That's at underscore play underscore chat or we have an email that's contact roleplaychat at gmail.com we also have some videos on youtube that we try to put out every every couple of weeks they're more condensed versions and takeaway versions of of our conversations so feel free to check us out there and sorry that i have to rush out of here chris but i think i'm gonna have to leave now so talk to you later man (laughs) talk to you later (laughs) let's call it a chat